welcome to episode 36 of the Swamp Flicks podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. And I'm Brittany Lompas. This is the podcast version of the movie review website Swamp Flicks. Woo! We are recording in Gentilly, New Orleans, surviving a day of terrible floods that have <laughs> taken over the city. We, we've, we're surviving the flood, yeah. Yeah, second time in a month. You that, can still smell it, though. Yeah, there's trash all over the it's neutral just, grounds. It's wet garbage <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> Well, we made it out okay, more or less. Yeah. And maybe worse than the floods has been like how awful like a lot of recent releases have been. I feel like the summer's kind of dying down as far as like good movies to go out and see are. Right. But the wh- good movie flood is over, <laughs> yeah. as well as the recent flood. Yeah. There's a lot of like fun, silly stuff that came out a couple months ago, and now it's kind of like trickling. Mm-hmm. What have you been watching? Now that I have, and I've probably mentioned this in like the last episode too, my internet connection at my new place is fucking lit. So I've been just like going through movies like no one's business because I don't have to wait for them to load. Recently, I watched The Sacrament, which is um, a like found footage film by Eli Roth. Um, and it's heavily based on uh, Jonestown. So I'm like so fascinated by cults. Right now, I'm, like, delving deep into Scientology, and it's blowing my mind. But just, like, any kind of cult I'm, like, obsessed with. And this movie is, like, you know, found footage just sort of based on, like, the Jonestown cult and Jim Jones. So there's, um, main character, one of the main characters is a photographer, and he gets invited by his sister to Eden Parish. And Eden Parish is just sort of, like, this cult that's, like, built out in like the wilderness and i think it's like somewhere like in south america like jonestown like jonestown right so he gets invited by her to come and see her like her commune life and this new life she has i think she's like a recovering addict as most cult followers are so he goes and then he has like friends like a cameraman and a reporter and the reporter works for vice so there's like a little vice shout out in there so they plan on going and he plans on like you know visiting his sister and then the guy goes and he's like oh this would be like a great project for them to do kind of like get into that and kind of talk to the cult leader see what like you know what everything is all about so they get there and it's led by this guy named they call him father (laughs) and it's this like you know jim's jim jones type like old chubby dude that is just fucking brainwashing these people and fucking their lives up for his pleasure um so they initially get there everybody seems you know super happy and they're like we love this place we built it ourselves look oh my god we you know we don't have government interference and we're all about you know we all love each other and this is the best and it's like okay and then you start to get a sense that like some people aren't as happy to be there and it's sort of like forced happiness and then like super quickly like this lady opens her mouth to them at night like the guys that come in and she's like, we're trapped here. We can't get out. They're beating the fuck out of my kid. And she like can't talk. She's so scared. Can you at least get her out? So they're like almost trapped. Like they had to get here to this place to Eden Parish by helicopter. And when they initially get there, it's surrounded by like these guys with machine guns. So it's not like you can escape. Plus like father takes everyone's passport and like hides <laughs> it, like keeps it from them. So the next day what happens is... A lot of people start revolting and they're like, we want to leave. We want to leave. And they're being, you know, verbal about it. And then that causes father to be like, well, you done it. You know, y'all cause a ruckus. Now people know and their government's going to come here and fuck everything up. And it's time for us to do what we plan. 
and then they start drinking the juice, the Kool-Aid. <laughs> and it's just being able to sort of see it in action. Like, this happened in real life. And being able to see something so similar to that, it was just so fucked up. So, it's a found footage movie, but it's as if it were a documentary crew coming in from the outside. It's yes. not like people, like, secretly documenting stuff. Right. They're, it's like, like, being interviewed. Both. It's both. It's oh, okay. like... They get an interview with Father and everything, and at the same time, like, when they're leaving, they're like, dude, something's weird. Like, something isn't right. So it's sort of like a mix of both. Okay. Um, so it's really interesting, and it just really puts it into perspective of, like, what... Not everybody that's in a cult is um, has the same, like, background. Uh, it's not just a bunch of people who are like, oh, this is cool. It's a lot of people who are, like, recovering addicts, and they've been pushed away by their family and friends, and they, you know, someone's there saying, I care about you, and this is, you know, we, we care about you, we're your family. So it gets to the point where you get so brainwashed and engulfed in this, like, lifestyle that whenever you want to leave, it's like, oh, you can leave, but everything you love and everything you know is here, so good luck. Yeah. You know, it's really hard for someone to leave. So I kind of liked how that movie kind of really helped you be more empathetic, almost towards people who are in a call. Like, it's not just, you know a bunch of like mindless idiots it's just people who have like literally been brainwashed and abused so i thought that was pretty neat yeah i've seen a few really good cult movies in the past year like holy hell was a really good documentary about a cult um and it was by this guy who like helped found the cult he's like one of the first like people there and he slowly got disillusioned with the person who was running it the jim jones type Jeez. um and then eventually you start to realize like how abusive that guy is and right that stuff. and then by the time yeah. it's like that you've a lot of people you've started you you know you've started your family within the cult like you might have got married to someone and you have children and it's like you can leave but here's your family you know are you gonna leave them behind a lot it's just so fucking sad and it's even worse when you're born into it to leave so it's just kind of you get to see all of that in this movie and then there's going clear the scientology documentary that came out recently that was really good oh is that there's one that's on netflix right now that i didn't get to totally like get into but it's on my to watch list and it's this guy who finds like ex-scientology members to like reenact events that happen i don't think so okay so it's another this one's more like a straightforward documentary it's based off this like thousand page expose on like uh the prison of belief is how they put it in the title and there's also that karen kusama movie the invitation last year which was like about like a dinner party that ended up being about occultist kind of stuff i really am fascinated with that material and like Mm -hmm. back in college you know you have these like pet subjects that you study uh, every time I had an opportunity to write a paper about a historical event, I always went with Jonestown because it is like always super interesting to read stuff about it. And it's God. so recent. Like it's such a modern event. It really, it's sad. It's so sad. And like when you listen to like the tapes, it's like, it's insane. Like I remember listening to like one where there was a woman who was just like, I don't want to do this. Like whenever he's trying to convince everyone to like do the whole mass suicide and it's just sort of like, oh, fuck. How do you feel about Eli Roth in general? Because I haven't seen but one of his movies. So I've seen... (laughs) I like him a lot. I've been trying to get my hands on The Green Inferno. That looks really interesting. But I do like his movies. While on the topic of Eli Roth, I also watched Knock Knock. That's the only one I've seen. For the first time. (laughs) And wow. Um, So I know you've watched it. I really like it. So I'm watching it. I'm just like... I, I didn't get, like, the whole point of it for a good while. Like, I got the point of it, but it's just, like, what's up with these chicks? You know, so there are these two girls who, like, get off on, like, going door to door, seducing married men, sleeping with them, and then, like, terrorizing their lives. 
so I'm just sort of like, like, how am I supposed to look at this? You know, like, am I supposed to be, is it supposed to be sort of like, you know, blaming women in a way, like making them look like, you know, villainous, like temptress, you know, assholes that are seducing men and ruining their lives. I don't know if that's the point of it, but the main character or the guy um, that Keanu Reeves plays, mm-hmm. not very likable. It's just like a fucking idiot. Yeah. So you don't it doesn't really... take much um, <laughs> propositioning to get him to like cheat on his wife and all this other stuff. Yeah. Like these girls are like Nick and he's like, no, oh no, no, <laughs> the bees. Like very Nicolas Cage bee moment. Yeah. And they're like, it's just so crazy. There's something about his performance that is just instantly funny. Like, I think that Wicker Man comparison is very accurate. They just say, like, stuff like, chocolate with sprinkles, my favorite. It's such a weird, inhuman way of, like, delivering lines. I was a DJ. Or at the end, when he's, like, buried up to his neck, and he's like, oh, no, my family. Uh, no. Yeah, the last, like, stinger <laughs> is him screaming at his, like, Facebook feed. It's just crazy. Like, I think, like, the part where I almost, like, turned it off. Like, I did like it. Like, the whole concept of it was pretty fun. And it was, like, you know, it's a thriller. And you're trying to, like, figure out, like, what the deal is the whole time. And I do like that. But whenever one of the girls comes out in his daughter's clothes. Oh, it's so and, creepy. And, like, with his daughter's underwear and, like, shoves his, like, little kid's underwear in his mouth while he's tied to the bed. I'm like oh my god like this all just makes me want to throw up right now like i had to totally pause it take a break and be like do i want to finish it like what other weird shit's gonna happen and i think that's like the weirdest part that is the most messed up if you can get past that then you're okay but i mean that's what i've avoided about the roth he has this like kind of gross um torture porn kind of reputation right um and green inferno looking like a cannibal holocaust remake does not make me want to see it for that exact reason but I feel like Knock Knock has a really great sense of humor. And I think yeah. some of that Keanu Reeves like awkwardness is totally on purpose. And if, <laughs> if you think about the title, Knock Knock sounds like a setup of like a knock knock joke. And like the whole movie feels like a punchline in that way. Like it's kind of like a goofy horror movie. And I just never thought of him as like being that self-conscious about his stuff. Like I thought he was just kind of gross without realizing how gross he was. Um <laughs> So I, I think I need to check out the sacrament now, just because like hearing that it's really um, good. Yeah. But on a lighter note, the last movie I want to talk about yeah. that I watched recently, Moana. Oh no! <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was so great. So this sounds gonna sound super crazy, but. In order to get my dog to go to bed when I go to bed, I have to put on, like, something to entertain her on the TV to keep her focused so she doesn't, like, roam around and, like, chew on stuff she's not supposed to chew on. So I I put, like, a movie on to, like, as a lullaby. (laughs) So um, usually she likes, like, you know, like, anything with, like, a lot of color and music and things like that. It really keeps her attention. And I have to be careful about, like, not having a dog in it because we watched Homeward Bound once and, like, I thought she was going to jump on the screen. (laughs) So I put on Moana and she is freaking obsessed with this movie like i had to i put moana on before i went to bed like at least four times in the past week (laughs) because it's the only thing that holds her attention i don't know if it's like just the water and the music and all these like bright fun colors i'm sure there are many parents who can uh sympathize (laughs) with that plight because i'm sure there are a lot of like little girls and boys who like want to watch that movie (laughs) right little girls boys and pups but i really liked it i wasn't really not expecting to enjoy it all that much because I mean, the last Disney movie that I really liked that came out was Frozen. And you like Zootopia. 
Oh, I d- yeah, you're right. Yeah. You know what? I'm loving it all. But I, <laughs> I was just like, oh, like, it just seemed weird. Like, I feel like Moana sort of, like, came out of nowhere. Like, there wasn't a lot of buildup to it being amazing. And it went to Netflix so fast. Yeah. So it's like, okay, this is a weird sign. But then, like, I watched it. And I, like, fell in love with the Moana, the main character. It's just like, you know, everyone tries to sort of identify with a princess. You know, you try to find one. Like, I've always liked Belle a lot because, you know, she's literate. And she mm-hmm. likes to read. But Moana, I hate to wear shoes. Girl never wears a fucking pair of shoes in this whole movie. <laughs> Barefoot on the sand. I mean, she is like one with the ocean. She hangs out with the rock. Hangs out with the rock. I mean, just awesome. And it's like, she's so like fearless. And she's such just like brave little badass. And I love it. Like it's spiritual in a way where it's, I don't know. It's, it's just like a religious reference for the ocean and almost, yeah. Yeah, nature. And it's, re- it's just really nice. Like it's really like heartwarming. There's not, I mean, it's not boring. Like it's constantly like, there's always something going on. Yeah. Um, and I remember like you wrote this like article about it being like very Mad Max. Uh, well, <laughs> with the coconut peeps. Here's the thing. I went to the movie hearing really good things about it. And I did not enjoy it at all. But I couldn't write a review about it because I felt like I had no business being there. I didn't enjoy it personally, but it's not something You didn't like any of the songs? I liked the Jermaine Clement um, song. He plays like a giant turtle. The crab. Oh, crab, And he's like obsessed with like shiny things. Yeah, and he sings like a David Bowie number that fits Mm -hmm. like a Flight of Concords echo. I (laughs) I liked that song. And I think the main main theme, Who Knows How Far I'll Go or however that is. a good one. Yeah, it's a really catchy like musical theater number. But there's just something about it that just felt like I shouldn't have been there. So I didn't feel like I had any right Mm -hmm. to review it. Because I was just like watching, and I was like, this just isn't for me. I'll review it. Oh, please do. (laughs) I just, I I recused myself. I was like, I didn't enjoy it, but I really had no business reviewing something I shouldn't have watched in the first place. It's like, and I also thought it did a good job of like celebrating Polynesian culture Mm -hmm. versus like exploiting it. Um, which I think like sometimes that does happen with movies where it's like the intention might be to like, you know, get people familiar with a culture and not super familiar with, but then it kind of like, I think they brought in wrong. people to like work on it as well. That weren't that were, white. Right. <laughs> so they, like, exactly. Taika Waititi, like, I think had something to do with uh, yeah. a little bit of the writing. And the, the, the girl that, um, did the voice of Moana and saying, I yeah. mean, and the rock, you know, it's like all people who it's, yeah, I just thought it was like really nice. And yeah. I'm, that's one culture, like I've never been like super familiar with where you just like think of, oh, Hawaii, luau, skirts, he, he, he. <laughs> but it's so much more than that. So it almost like after watching it, it kind of sparked an interest in me where I'm like, I kind of want to like get more familiar with That's this cool. and, and I'm sure I'm not the only one especially like whenever you're reaching out to like well this is like meant for children so having kids develop an interest in that at a young age is awesome so it's not sort of like I don't know I just think it's nice yeah well well, instead of reviewing the movie I did write that thing about one scene that's like a wink to Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. And that sequence is really fun. It's like this action piece where these like sentient coconuts uh, yeah, so try to like take over their ship. And it looks like the war boys coming in with the giant drums and stuff. So I thought that was nice. Like I said, I like that Jermaine Clement song a lot. Did you at least like the part where like at the end, which I love the ending so much, where it's like you think that Maui is the one that's supposed to like return the heart. And he's the one that's supposed to like, you know, break this sort of like curse. Yeah. Yeah. And then he ends up just fucking not doing it. And Moana's just like walks. I mean, she parts the ocean like Moses walks <laughs> through up to this like lava monster and like sticks the heart in it by herself, which is pretty cool. I mean, I just, I was too detached. That moment for me was so similar to like Mulan. I whenever, don't like Mulan either though. Uh, whatever 
she climbs the um the pole and then because they were like oh like you're weak and then they have the i'll make a man out of you song donny osmond saying it and like they all get out their tents in the morning and she's like way at the top uh. and it's like fuck I don't know. It I feel like so Milan, Frozen, and this one all have the same problem, which is that comic relief character. Like, I love The Rock. I'm a huge pro wrestling mm-hmm. nut, <laughs> and I he like kills me in this movie. It's not funny. It reminds me of Eddie Murphy in Mulan. It reminds me of Olaf in the True Frozen. Oh, Olaf's so terrible. Yeah, I liked. Um, it kills my spirit. What was the little chicken's name? Yeah, it was up, fine. Up or whatever. Yeah, it was a dumb chicken. <laughs> he, that was funny, though. Sometimes. <laughs> I thought it was so fun. And I love, like, whenever there were these huge, like, disaster parts where the boat flips over or whatever, I yeah. kept, like, looking to see where he was. And he's always, like, floating on something. <laughs> I thought it was cute. Like I said, it, I just shouldn't right. even talk about it. Okay. <laughs> I should just keep my mouth shut about Milan. Just kind of what, how the approach so I've been taking. So good. I would love to read, like, a full review of it, though, if you feel like writing that. Done. Well, I've been to the theater a few times lately. <laughs> and like I mentioned at the top of the conversation, it feels like the good stuff is sort of gone for the summer. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of just waiting for the um, you know, the fall and winter always bring those, like, uh, film fest movies and like Oscar contenders and, and like stuff family like. features for the holidays yeah, too. There's yeah. gonna be like a cool movie. Cool yeah, like Christmas-y Star Wars movie. and all that stuff oh, yeah, coming up. Yeah. But there are a couple trashy late summer movies that I really enjoyed recently. Um, I haven't gotten a girls trip yet, but I keep hearing that one's really fun. I need to watch that. It looks super funny. Yeah, I heard it's really dirty, which makes me excited to see it. <laughs> but the two I did get to catch up with Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. It is directed by Luc Besson, who did Lucy and Leon the Professional and Fifth Element. Sweet. Uh, this one is very much like the Fifth Element. It's just this goofy uh, comic book adaptation of uh, this French series about Valerian and Loreline or Loreline. Uh, these two like astronauts in the future who go to all these different planets and meet all these different alien creatures. And the two leads are so bad. <laughs> well, especially the guy Dane DeHaan who plays Valerian. Um, he sounds like he's doing a feature-length Keanu Reeves impersonation. He's just like, eh, I guess we gotta go to the next planet. Oh, God. Um, Wait, I mean, was Keanu Reeves always so bad? Yeah. Like, I always really liked all his movies. I think he picked great roles for what he can do. Like, you know, like Speed. Um, uh, Point Break. Dracula. The Matrix. Matrix. Bill <laughs> uh, I, I think he picks great roles for his range. And Something's it, happening to this Imagining guy. him try to, like, hold down this, like, buff astronaut who goes on all these, like, adventures mm-hmm. and, like, swashbuckles in space. Like, it's <laughs> not within his range to do that. Yeah. Does it have someone impersonating him and doing that? It's just so weird. And even though the two leads are, like, objectively, like, bad in this movie, I really enjoyed how weird they felt. And the movie itself is just this beautiful CGI alien landscape fest. Like, you mm-hmm. just meet these, like, alien ducks that look like they're made out of scrotums. And, like, oh, my God. Uh, this oh. one planet looks like... Look- <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's this one planet that's like, uh, it looks like Avatar, but like all like super hot supermodels. All the inhabitants, no matter what gender, look like the most gorgeous like female supermodel you've ever seen. <laughs> it's just this weird. It's very insane. Yeah, and it's so fun. Uh, it's completely bombed in I've the US. I've never even heard of this. That's, like, a, that's another problem. It's just completely bombed. Huh. Like, it's called Valerian and the City of a Thousand so Planets. So who's like some of the main actors in it? Uh, Dane DeHaan, I only know because he was in... Uh, Cure for Wellness earlier this year. 
And Claire Devonier, I think, is the other girl. I think she's oh. a model, right? I've never seen anything with her in it, but I love how, like, this girl just, like, made, like, big eyebrows cool again mm-hmm. because I've always had Bushman eyebrows. Yeah. And I'm like, I cannot afford to wax them all the time. So now I'm just sort of like, oh, this is so Kara Devin or yeah. Devin of me. She's got the same kind of, like, detached Keanu Reeves presence as the other guy. But I like her presence in the film a lot more. Like, I don't know. She just, like, pulls it off better. Good. Uh, It's not, like, quote-unquote good acting. But Uh there's just something really bizarre about it. In this, like, kind of buckaroo bonsai kind of way. Like, it's very old-fashioned, goofy. Like, look at all this weird alien shit. Gotcha. A couple of the performances that are, like, people you would actually recognize I thought were, like, actually legitimately awful. Which would be um, Ethan Hawke. And worst of all, Rihanna is, like, really bad in this movie. Oh, okay. So I remember like like seeing some kind of thing where it's like some kind of movie premiere and Rihanna was there. I'm like, why is she there? It was Valerian. I yeah. was thinking about it. She does this like striptease thing that's like really fun and gotcha. goofy. And Good for her. <laughs> it's like less objectifying than you would expect. It's like this like really just absurd moment. Um, and then <laughs> after that, she starts like doing voiceover work for like her alien form. And it's like unbearably bad. Like, really? It, like embarrassingly bad. And I'm a defender of her in, like, Battleship. Like, I usually go to bat for Rihanna, and she's really bad mm-hmm. in this film. But I keep talking about how trashy and awful it is, but I had such a great time watching it. Like, But that's how that works. Yeah. Like, good movies, it's like, okay, like, I'll see it once, it was good, fine. But those garbage movies, it's like, huh, oh, I keep watching that over again, I'm probably gonna buy it on DVD. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, like, fascinating how, like, off everything feels. Yeah. I feel like The Fifth Element was kind of the same way. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, like, a well-made movie, really, but, but there's something time. about it. It's a good time. Yeah. The other one would be Atomic Blonde from this year. Ooh, that looked great. Yeah, it's from one of the guys behind John Wick. Um, He's directing Charlize Theron in this, like, sort of James Bond kind of role. Like, it's set in the days before the Berlin Wall falls. Keanu Reeves playing John Wick? Mm -hmm. We have a lot of Keanu Reeves shit going on right now. I just kind of wanted to point that out, but continue. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, she's in this like James Bond kind of role where she like wears these beautiful clothes and just like beats the shit out of men for like two hours. Uh, oh my god! And the soundtrack you would love—it's like New Order and Bowie. Oh Jesus Christ! Uh, I'm trying to think of the other people in there. I'm already um, Depeche there. Depeche Mode. Just like a lot of best 80s. band in the world. <laughs> just want to throw that out there. I'll be seeing them in September. Oh, that's awesome. Yep. Does it have the original Vince Casale? Not Vince Casale. What's that guy's Vince name? Clark. Vince Clark? No, it's just Andrew Fletch, Martin Gore, and uh, Dave Gahan oh, at okay. this point. Just three of those. Yeah. Three of them. Well, the, um, just the synth soundtrack and Charlize Theron wearing oh, these like, beautiful clothes. And like there's this one set piece that starts in a stairwell and then sort of evolves into a car chase that's like all one unbroken sequence that is like one of the best action set pieces of the past decade easily and it's just brutal like the violence in this movie i remember seeing the trailer for mm-hmm. it and i was just like i didn't breathe the whole time because i was just like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. i think it's because she does a lot of her it's own amazing. stunts that really? it's like super convincing and she's that's like awesome. a convincing action star i know yeah. we referenced um fury road earlier yeah like, she's equally yeah. good in that as well she's great in that um, movie. This is also like Valyrian where I can praise like the aesthetics of it all day, but it's like at the end of the day you have to kind of admit like this is a dumb movie with like a kind of cheap trashy story, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still like as far as like summertime blockbuster like fluff goes, those two movies I feel like have a great novelty to them and gotcha. they're really fun to watch in a theater, even if at this point they're kind of like not doing super hot and you'd be sitting in this theater alone. <laughs> um, worth it. It's so worth it. That's uh, awesome. I recommend both of those. Okay. 
And like I said, I haven't seen Girl's Trip, but maybe go out and see it anyway, because I keep hearing great things about it. The trailer was freaking hilarious. Yeah. And I, well, Queen Latifah is so funny to me. Like, I think she's <laughs> one of like, my favorite actresses. Comedy she, actresses. She'll come up later today uh, <gasps> in one of these movies <laughs> that we're about to talk about. Oh, um, <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, the summer is coming to a close, but we're going to give it one last farewell and talk about uh, one of the great summertime traditions, which is going to amusement parks and theme parks. Mm. Uh, so we're both going to be talking about a horror film that just happens to be set at a carnival, and also <laughs> six Disney films that were based on rides. We will never be the same again. We're going to the most magical place in the world, and then like the awful things that were inspired by the things that were created there. Um, <laughs> And all that's coming up to you right Right now. Ladies and gentlemen, behold, the open gate to hell. Let me know what to expect on the inside. Get your tickets now. It's really scary, Mr. I bet it's not. I bet it's stupid. Demons don't get you. You'll be My ass. And now it's time for our Movie of the Minute segment. This is where hosts of the show bounce back and forth recommending films to each other. Um, The first episode of the podcast that Brittany was on was early last year. We talked about evil doll movies. Mm -hmm. And one of the names that kept coming up over and over again was Charles Band, who uh, runs Full Moon Features. And has done a bunch of (laughs) movies about evil dolls and evil toys. I feel like we need to like make some kind of sound clip, especially for like when we mention Charles Band (laughs) in the podcast. Just kind of like... Charles Band. Yeah, it needs like a sound effect. Something. (laughs) Um, This film uh, that we're going to be talking about today was directed by Charles Band's father, Albert Band. Papa Band. Papa Band. (laughs) But this was um, a full moon feature from the late 80s, set at an amusement park, a traveling carnival. It is titled Ghoulies 2. There's no subtitle. It is the second film in the series Ghoulies, which came out in the 80s when there was this craze to rip off the gremlins. So you had critters, <laughs> munchies, hobgoblins, all these different movies that were trying to like sort of siphon off some of the uh, success of the Joe Dante film. Um, the first Ghoulies movie is set in this basement um, where this guy like holds a seance and pulls these like demons out from hell. And they're these tiny little gremlin-sized monsters. And they're, they're cute. They have like a, a bat one and a rat one. Uh, one that kind of looks like an alligator, one that kind of looks like a piranha. So they have each of their own little personalities, the way that maybe in Gremlins 2, the Gremlins have more like individual personalities like that. But the movie itself is like super boring. The most exciting aspect of it, and the thing you'll see in the marketing most often, is that the piranha ghoulie, uh, who's like always on the poster, goes in toilets and uh, has a proclivity for going up people's butts uh, to kill them. And uh, the marketing. Can you imagine? <laughs> The marketing will say, like, you'll get it in the end. And, like, that's supposed to be the most terrifying thing is, like, sitting on the toilet and thinking about whether or not a ghoulie's going to bite your asshole. I have something to say about that, too. <laughs> um, they did bring that same marketing into Ghoulies too, but this one <laughs> leaves the basement. The ghoulies hitch a ride with this traveling carnival and end up going through a dark ride haunted house attraction called Satan's Den. And they hide uh, amongst all the waxed figurines and, like, automated monsters that are supposed to scare children as they walk through this, like, haunted house. I think that Ghoulies 2 is, like, the masterpiece of the Ghoulies series. Uh, Like I said, the first one's kind of boring. The third one is, like, a Porky's kind of, like, college comedy called Ghoulies Go to College. Um, (laughs) The fourth one, I think, was a different movie. There's four? That they, after the fact, added... Ghoulies too. It's mm-hmm. so, like they film this whole movie without ghoulies and then just sort of like added clips of ghoulies into it to like bring it into the series. Jesus 
Sorry. So, if you're going to watch one Ghoulies movie, my recommendation would be to watch Ghoulies 2. Mm-hmm. How did that work out for you? So, right, this is the first Ghoulies movie that I've watched. I enjoyed it. Um, I love how there are these... It's almost like a theme. Like, we were talk- you're talking about, like, you know, there's critters and gremlins and, like, just all these, like, films that sort of, like, played off of gremlins. Well, this was sort of, like, during the satanic panic era in the 80s. So there's a lot of, like, movies that really, like, play off of that with, like, you know, you know just all kinds of stupid occult shit in it. And this, I love how, like, they had the whole, like, a pentagram and then, like, summoning them from hell. Like, yeah. all that kind of stuff is super fun. First of all, like, I think Hell on Earth is a traveling amusement park. Um, it's just the dirtiest rides with the scariest people. No offense. I've just had some experiences. We watched uh, Toby Hooper's Funhouse for... Uh... A movie of the month last year. Yeah. You made us watch that. I did. And it is horrifying. It's horrifying. I just, a, a lot of like experiences I've had that were just terrible have always been at like a fair where like, you know, I puke on the tilt-a-whirl. I puke on like, you know, rides you aren't supposed to puke on. I'm just like, uh, and there's always someone throwing up. So every time like I see like, so, you know, carnival being set up in a parking lot, I'm just like, I could fucking smell the vomit and corn dogs. And it's just so gross. So, and also the rides are so dangerous. Don't get on those rides. People die all the time. But how are you supposed to have a summer if you can't get on the rides? <laughs> Jaws reference. So that already like kind of gives me this like, you know, goosebump feeling just having an amusement park. And then, of course, in the fun house of the amusement park or Satan's Den, that's where all these little assholes are hiding. And it's it's so stupid. Like people come in and they're like, look, it's part of the ride. Yeah. And it's just these gooey slimy little like flesh wet things and it's of course this is meant to be like a stupid movie Mm -hmm. but you're like you know it's already stupid because they're just looking you're like yeah cool and then this guy comes in with like his bad crew and he's like i can't go anywhere without my tunes oh we have to talk about tunes Tunes, in this movie how he this guy like risked his life for his tunes i think if you're gonna make a drinking game out of ghoulies uh the two things that the two words that you would use as a trigger for when to drink You've already mentioned them. One would be magic because of the mm-hmm. satanic panic. They say magic a lot in the movie. Right. Uh, the the What's guy causing it magic. Yeah, the, the guy <laughs> who owns the ride who makes the like blood pentagrams and stuff. His name is the Great Fausto. Yeah, he's like this drunk old man. Um, <laughs> was, yeah, I forgot to mention they were blood pentagrams. Yeah, the best. The best pentagrams are made of blood. Even though he's drunk all the time, he's like obsessed with the idea of like practicing real magic and mm-hmm. making magic real. So he like fucking shit his pants when these things came up. Right. I, I did it. I did it. <laughs> I stole my noom. So that would be one word. But also the word tunes, tunes. is repeated so many times in this film. Right. Uh, this one group of teens comes in uh, hoping to make fun of the ride because like... You know, uh, fun houses are for kids, and like they just want right. to like, make out and drink beer. And... But it turns out the ride makes fun of them. Yeah, uh, when they're making out, one of the ghoulies pukes on the two teens' faces, yes. and they get stuck together. Yeah, it's just like this fucking like lime green splooge that just goes in their mouth, <laughs> and it's like at first I didn't realize it was making them get stuck together. I thought they were just like fuck it, let's just keep making out while the shit gets thrown on us. And I'm like, God, teens are so gross. But then it turns out they're stuck because like when they come out the ride after, and they're like, don't go, in. oh fuck, like their faces are just stuck together. So but, that's pretty cool. But the leader of the crew, tunes, he carries a boombox on his shoulder that mm-hmm. he refers to as his tunes, right? And he won't turn off his heavy metal music ever. And every opportunity him or his cronies have to <laughs> say the word tunes. <laughs> and you think it's over. Like, 
He's like, he doesn't go anywhere without his tunes. Or like uh, when the ghoulie knocks over his boombox and breaks it, he goes, my tunes! Right. You're like, oh, finally they're done talking about tunes. Nope. He comes back later with cops and he's like, my tunes are still in there. I, I want to get my tunes. <laughs> right. It just keeps coming back up and you're like, okay, that was like a weird slang term that he used once, twice, three times, four times. Okay. You're just going to keep going with it. No matter how many times I watch the movie, I still cry laughing by like the eighth time someone says tunes. <laughs> There's just something <laughs> about like the repetition well, of that. Obviously, I'm going to rewatch this a couple of times. So I'm definitely going to keep a better eye out for how many times they say tunes. <laughs> so I thought that was so freaking funny. The death scenes in here were so amazing. Like all of them. They're like, they're violent and stupid at the same time with like the carnival background. So it's just fucking filthy. It's just, it's so (laughs) gross and amazing. My favorite is the stripper death. There's a stripper who loses her kitten that she called Muffy. And she's like looking around. Um, This might be the first murder, first or second murder in the film. She's looking around for her missing cat and she's like, has anybody seen my Muffy? And uh, one of the other carnies is like, everybody's seen your Muffy. God. A <laughs> um, she eventually gets knocked down by the cat ghoulie, who instead of using like claws or fangs or something to kill a person, carries a straight razor like out of a Jallo film for like no fucking reason. <laughs> the like, Jallo. Why would a cat demon need a human weapon to murder people? Like it's this, such a weird detail. This could be part of the occult. <laughs> it could be like this you know some symbolism between felines and razors that we're missing completely so this could be our ignorance yeah i mean maybe it's just a, a good tool we gotta trust in papa band at this point yeah like, that he knows what he's doing that albert band had a clear vision <laughs> right he had a clear vision he was trying to get a point across i also like uh when the rat one pukes on the uh the making out kids right before that <laughs> a, uh a little kid throws a throwing star to kill the rat and he catches it in its mouth. And they're like, fuck. <laughs> Why are they carrying those ninja stars? In gen- you know what I mean? Like, Yeah. Were there any other great deaths? Yeah. Let's talk about the toilet one. So I didn't know that the toilet death where the ghoulie just like kills you by like going at your asshole. <laughs> Does that happen in the first movie? I think so. Yeah. I okay. think that's part of the Is marketing. Is like a thing? Yeah. Okay. So that really terrified me because when I was little... I think I must have been like six or seven. I was like at my grandma's house for a sleepover and there was like a frog in the toilet and I'm so scared of frogs and I like was on the toilet and I was so afraid that the frog was like gonna go in my butthole and then have frog babies oh, no. and then I would like poop them out. Like I was so scared of that. So when I saw that, it just brought back all those fears. Like till this day, like I have to look at the toilet before sitting on it because I'm so scared someone's gonna be in there. So that's that scene where there's a fucking ghoulie in the toilet that is going for your butt. Just, oh, that scared the shit out of me. Literally. (laughs) Literally. But yeah, what a cool death. That guy was like the biggest asshole. And it's so funny because it's like, why are you wearing a suit? You own like a shit carnival. Like get over yourself. Well, yeah, that's the weird thing about this movie is that it's an 80s horror film Mm -hmm. from the VHS era. And I feel like we talked about this a little bit with Ice Cream Man when you referenced that movie. And also the movie Clown uh, felt like a kind of a return to this aesthetic but there was a time in 80s horror when everything was kind of a hard r but felt like it was still being marketed to children in a weird way and one of the most common villains in children's movies is like the business dick like this guy mm-hmm. comes in in a business suit and he's like i don't care how artistic the satan's den is if it's not making right. money we got to get rid of it like greed greed hair grease use car salesman <laughs> suit i'm yeah. the bad guy wall street 
He's such like a Reagan era <laughs> archetype. So it's really funny that this guy is the villain in the film and not the ghoulies. Like the ghoulies are evil and kill people and are demonic. But they're but, fun. Like you, you're rooting for them in a way. Yeah, the little kids who witness the ghoulies like tormenting people uh-huh. keep bringing in more audiences from other parts of the park they're to like, come oh, check them cool. out. <laughs> I just think it's really funny that the movie's like marketed to that right. subset. I, I could picture this was like you know a, like a twelve year old's dream <laughs> in the eighties. Yeah, and the the part where he gets the ghoulie up his butt is oh. in the last like. 20 minutes in the movie where the ghoulies leave Satan's den and start interacting with other parts right, of the park. Right, It's sort of... That, I was about to, like, mention that, too. Like, it's interesting how, like, majority of the movie does take place in Satan's den, and then all of a sudden, it's, like, in the last couple of minutes, they're fucking unleashed, and then, like, the terror begins <laughs> where they're, like, unscrewing parts of the ride, and people are, like, flying off their seats <laughs> and dying, and... They kill people with bumper cars. Bumper car t- uh, they eat a clown in a dunking booth. Yeah. Oh, the dunk. Oh, that's so scary. That that kind of reminded me of. Um, and we we've seen this movie before. It was one of our movie of the month, Alligator, mm-hmm. where the kid falls in the pool. Oh yeah. Like the whole idea of like mysteriously falling into water where you think it's just like pool, whatever, and there's like something in it that's gonna kill you. <laughs> and just to like spoil the uh, the denouement of this fine work, the <laughs> mechanism that kills the ghoulies is this magical spell that's uh, supposed to get rid of them. And the way that happens is it gives birth to a bigger ghoulie. It's a super ghoulie. Yeah, which I guess would just be a ghoul. Um, but it's like this like <laughs> human. Yes. Yeah. It's like this human-sized version of the piranha one, uh, and it walks around right. and just eats the ghoulies. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, now we have this bigger problem on our hands. Um, and the way they get rid of it is they feed it a bomb. Always gotta blow it up. <laughs> like Jaws. That's Jaws. Like, yeah, anytime there's something big and you're like, okay, like, no bullets are gonna take this fucker down. Let's just put a bomb in there. And then it worked. And someone gets on the uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger line, it's like, bon appetit, motherfucker, right before it blows right. up. Right, of course. What a brilliant end of this film. Um, <laughs> Such a great... I did really like this movie, so I'm definitely going to be visiting those um, other ghoulie films, because I'm totally into it. Uh, real quick, wanted to mention Sir Nigel. Oh, yeah. Um, His name uh, is Phil Fondacaro, is yeah. the actor. Yeah. And he's actually from New Orleans. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So I recognize him because um, there's this movie I used to watch uh, when I was younger. I really loved like Chevy Chase comedies, mm-hmm. like Foul Play and Seems Like Old Times. And there's another one that he was in with Carrie Fisher called um, Under the Rainbow. And it's just like all these people at this crazy hotel in LA. And some of the people staying at the hotel is a cast of little people that are playing in The Wizard of Oz. And one of the little people is um, Phil, Phil Fondacaro. So I was like, oh, because I'm like, where does he look like familiar from? And of course he's in Willow. And he's just in a bunch of full moon movies. Like yeah. every Charles Band movie yes. this guy is in. Like Devil Doll, I think. Like he's just kind of like always kind of there. So, and he's great. Like he, I think he's like legit a great actor. So it was kind of cool seeing him. And in this he plays like a Shakespearean actor who's like above so being like natural. a little person in yeah. a uh, mud wrestling tournament and then you find out like what he actually does in Satan's Den is he dresses like a gorilla. Like it's <laughs> not like he's like doing like fine acting right. work already. His dreams. It's just nice knowing his dreams. Yeah. But have you seen Under the Rainbow? No. That might be a good movie of the moment. Yeah, they fun. Us. Yeah. Um. Besides like him, uh, the great Fausto, uh, what's his name? Royal Dano, mm-hmm. who's in a bunch of Westerns. Um, right. That's the only other like recognizable actor in this movie that I could yep. name really. Except for the ghoulies. Well, yeah. And I, I think we should talk about the design of the ghoulies. Like, oh, they're so sticky. Uh, like a honey bun. Yeah, no, it's, they're like they're like slick. Like gooey, yeah. It's a mix of puppets for the close-ups and when they're walking around stop-motion animation. 
Um, and it has like a really interesting look to it. And if you look at the other <laughs> Ghoulies films, I think one of the reasons this one stands out as like a highlight is like they actually look cool in this film. Like the design of them is nice. Yeah. The other ones look like garbage. Like I don't know if just more money went into this. Maybe. I mean, worth it. Um, I loved all the close-ups of like when they're like eating shit or when they're like biting somebody. Like that was really cool. Like, you just seeing their like little teeth sink into skin and stuff <laughs> like that. It was really neat. Okay, so you have a, a, a cat ghoulie, a bat ghoulie, a rat ghoulie, the piranha-looking ghoulie, and like this almost alligator-looking one right. that like stays low to the ground. Right. Do you have a favorite ghoulie? Uh, the bat ghoulie. The bat. Mm-hmm. The bat just kind of flies in every mm-hmm. now and then to touch people's heads. Yeah. I it's, think it's a good time. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> you don't expect it. <laughs> Mine's like a tough call between the cat with the straight razor, just because I think that is so absurd, and the rat who like... Does all the puking. See, I thought you would like the piranha one. Oh, he's 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 like the iconic one, right? Yeah. Like, he's the one that's on the cover in the toilet. Right. That's probably everybody's favorite. So yeah. how typical, you know? <laughs> um, but no, yeah. I, thought, I mean, they were all cool in their own way. But yeah, I did like, I thought the bat one was kind of, it was just super funny. Just the way like, you know, he'd like swoop in and stuff. I thought it was pretty cool. But yeah, I loved, I'm a Ghoulies fan. You're a, go- a instant Ghoulies convert. Instant Ghoulies convert. Well, maybe. But I'm not surprised. Yeah. Maybe we should go back and watch the whole series because I don't even know if I've seen all four of them. But I, I will say that don't expect any of them to be as good as Ghoulies 2. There's something about this one that's special. Yeah. And I think that special thing might just be tunes, you know? It's the tunes. It's that metal. Yeah. That occult metal. From one of the world's most gifted motion picture creators comes Disneyland, whose wondrous portals open to Adventureland, Tomorrowland, Frontierland, and Fantasyland. Fantasyland, where even elephants can fly, and little boys understand the simple language of the animals they love. Tomorrowland, taking you on miraculous trips to outer space, far beyond the orbits mankind has reached today. Adventureland, bringing you exciting stories of man's exploits and of the animals Walt Disney loves so well. Frontierland, where men of the mountains and men of the plains came America's flaming frontier. Disneyland, it's wonder, fantasy, and adventure. See it every week on ABC. So, this Mardi Gras, you, Virginia, me, and CC all dressed like Divine and went out to the quarter for the inaugural Crew Divine tour. Yes, and fantastic of a time it was. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And then at three in the morning that same day, I got in a car and drove to Disney World for a week. (laughs) (laughs) And I had been to Disney World once before when I was like 12 or 13. I didn't Mm -hmm. really like appreciate it because I was like in my new metal, gloomy, uh, late 90s asshole phase. Interesting because that's where I'm at right now at 27. (laughs) (laughs) Rest in peace, Chester Bennington. (laughs) Oh no. What a sad way to start. (laughs) But as an adult, 30 years old, I'm in Disney World, and I had the time of my life. Uh I really loved Magic Kingdom, seeing all the different um, animatronics and, like, sculpted environments, and just how corny, but, like, perfect everything was. Mm -hmm. It was just, like, a really weird, immersive experience where, like, I felt the magic, even Mm -hmm. though it was, like, an artificial crafted magic i felt it on a daily basis when i was there and i started thinking about movies at disney world and disneyland that were made after the rides were made uh, as opposed to the other way around because when we were there we were looking for 
Ursula content because I Divine was still in my mind and the idea of like a Disney villain being crafted after like the greatest drag queen of all time being part of the park. I've found like three or four different places in the park where you could see like Ursula in person. I like that show that they put on where that you get like misted. Oh and yeah, you're, like, that was underwater. one of the best parts. There's That's like these lasers favorites. and stuff like that. But as we were there and looking at other rides, it's like actually some of this stuff isn't from movies that exist. Yeah, and some of it came before the movies, which is like really weird. Do, do you have a lot of experience with going to Disney World? So basically, like when I was eight years old. I went and I remember that's one of the only like memories I have that are so vivid because I had like the best time of my life. Like I remember having a character breakfast and like Esmeralda was there and Mary Poppins came over and I was like shit in my pants. I was so pumped, but it was like so good. And I went to all the parks and then when I was 17, I graduated from high school. I did Disney grad night oh, wow. where they opened Disney world for seniors from like nine in, at night till three in the morning. That's amazing. And Neo performed in front of the <laughs> Disney castle I'm along with. Fuck you. Is that the same guy? Yeah, it's Akon. No, Neo. Neo is like. I'm so sick of love songs. Oh, okay. So tired of tears. He's great. <laughs> so it was Neo and performing in front of the castle. And then when he left, the red jumpsuit apparatus performed. Oh, no. <laughs> and then, like, throughout the theme park, it was like they were just blasting Little Wayne from the speakers. And it was just Magic Kingdom. And all I did was I went on Space Mountain. And then, like, all, of course, it was like seniors were like, oh, we're going to go on Space Mountain. We're going to go on Splash Mountain. And the lines were too long. So I just, like, went on Pirates of the Caribbean, like, five times. <laughs> and then I went to the Winnie the Pooh ride and Those... Feel Her Magic. And that was it. So it wasn't very magical because it wasn't, like, very Disney. It was yeah. just kind of, like, weird. So I like to say I've only been once. And I had that full Disney magic experience when, you were a kid. when I was a kid. I've never been since. So that's the stuff that's most impressive to me is, like, the Winnie the Pooh and Pirates stuff. Especially the Peter, oh, the Pan, Peter ride. Pan ride. That's my favorite. Oh, there was one, my favorite one, and they got rid of it. It was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Mm-hmm. And it was like from Ichabod and Mr. Toad, um, that movie. And it was just this like wacky old like funky car. And you go through this ride and there was like twists and turns and like crazy. It was like being in a Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Sort of like. They're called set. dark dark rides. Oh, uh, Okay. They're awesome. Yeah, they're great. You just go inside and you see all these like stuff that was made by human hands. And I it's love just that. Really I, weird environments. I take that over any roller coaster any day. Oh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that was like part of what Fuck Space Mountain. <laughs> also, it got stuck. Oh on no! On grad night. <laughs> I'm sure people were making out in the dark. Uh, Probably. Yeah. Jesus. So looking at the actual like list of films that have been based on Disney rides. Usually people cite about five of them, but we found six total where like the ride came first and then the movie was made after the fact. The first one was made for the Disney Channel in the mid nineties, which is about what you would expect for these. Like you would think that they'd be all like straight to Disney Channel movies, but some of them are like fairly successful. The first one actually ended up being one of my favorites on the list too. Mm Uh, it's called The Tower of Terror. Uh, it stars Steve Gutenberg as this like National Enquirer style investigative journalist. His <laughs> Uncle Buzzy. He was born to be a goofy uncle in a Disney movie. His niece in this film is Kirsten Dunst. Uh, mm-hmm. Around like Jumanji time, I would say is about yeah. where she is in her career. Um, and this is based off the Disney ride, The Tower of Terror. Fucking awesome ride. Uh, it's a haunted elevator uh, that's supposed to be old Hollywood style. And in the parks, it's... Twilight Zone themed and uh, there's right. like an introduction from Rod Sterling who like does all these like creepy things and these like holograms and then all of a sudden the doors open you're outside and you see how 
high you are in the tower and the elevator drops you a bunch of times and that's like the scary part in the movie kirsten dunce is helping her uncle stage all these like fake phenomenon to cover for national Enquirer stories but they accidentally uncover this true story about this one night in the hollywood tower which was a hotel where this shirley temple type in the 30s disappeared uh and the rumor is it was this black magic that someone conjured from the book of souls which ends up being kind of MacGuffin in the movie <laughs> to zap the elevator and banish her to hell mm-hmm. but the he- elevator only gets half zapped quote unquote and ends up sticking these ghosts in a sort what of a limbo shitty witch yeah yeah the witch was not prepared for uh <laughs> actually zapping people to the underworld <laughs> and the ghosts end up sort of haunting the hotel yeah. uh and steve gutenberg and kirsten dunst sort of like try to convince other people that this is a legitimate problem they want to find the book of souls and like help them right. get out of this like limbo that they're stuck it's in. very sweet for right. a ghost story it's like a very sweet ghost story what did you think about it on the whole so this is always like one of my favorite uh, Disney Channel original movies. Oh, you've seen it before. I've seen it before and it's been a super long time. So like watching it, it's just sort of a lot of parts of this movie have just been memories like the nanny and they've all just kind of been floating in the back of my head. And I'm like, where did I see this from? Where did I see this from? Like, you know, whenever thoughts and memories just kind of like pop up and yeah. you're like, what movie was that? So when I was like watching it for like the first time in like eight years or like 10 years, I'm like, oh my God, like, yes, yes, this is it. So it was just kind of like all like this puzzle in my head was like becoming complete. But I really did like it. It's like, it's entertaining and it's not cheesy. I don't know if you thought of this, but the whole time with the whole Sally and her, her jealous sister thing. Can I guess? Baby Jane. Yes, Baby Jane Hudson. Right. A hundred percent. Like, they totally... I was totally influenced by Baby Jane. Like, you know, the jealous sister that just... Ugh. And I just kept thinking of, like, there should be love. Love, love should be, be there. there. Woo! <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was really cool. But yeah, the old Hollywood and the fact that it's this fucking, like, badass little girl that's playing with, ba- like, black magic. I thought that was really neat. It's interesting that Disney would even do something like this. It's not, like, scary, but the fact that it's, like, you know, this sweet old lady's like, oh, I need help. We need to help these souls. But she's really freaking wicked as all hell Mm -hmm. and, like, just a bitch. So, you know, don't trust, like, nice old ladies. (laughs) So that's, like, the point that kind of came across to me. Like, you can't just be like, oh, like, it's an older woman. Obviously, she means well. No, there are, like, mean old ladies out there and you don't trust them. That surprised me, actually. I Mm -hmm. There was a reveal where one of the characters was revealed to be a ghost the whole time. That seemed, like, super obvious to me. And that's, uh, I can't remember the actress's name, but she plays Jan on The Office. Yes, and she sang, just like Jan sings on The Office. And uh, she plays a similar old Hollywood singer in The Rocketeer. She does the same kind of uh, performance. But that reveal seems super obvious to me. Mm -hmm. But I didn't expect the old lady and the baby Jane dynamic to really come up as, as, like, solidly as it did. Yeah, that's a pretty big, like, twist. And for a a made-for-TV Disney movie. And she does this really long speech uh, that's, like, full of, like, emotion and, like, Mm -hmm. really, like, hits home in this climactic thing. And she says all these ridiculous things about, like black magic and like banishing people to the underworld and stuff like that but the speech goes on for a couple minutes and like (laughs) actually is really compelling in this Uh like legitimate kind of way and it's really nice how like the whole idea of forgiveness kind of saves the day where i don't know i thought that was really sweet because this freaking kid has been like in limbo forever because her sister was a douchebag and she forgives her sister and kind of breaks the curse yeah so i thought that was really sweet it's a nice message there's some other people that get sucked in there too there's like a drunk british ghost who seemed like 
queer to me. Uh, and then there's the uh, the, bellhop. the bellhop, who I believe was the kid from Children of the Corn. Um, just like, Mordecai or Malachi? And this like supposedly evil nurse who turns out to be like kind of like innocuous. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing that also really surprised me about it was that because it's like a haunted house movie and like the scares in the movie are like an elevator opens and there's like hellfire in the elevator or like Ooh. this like butler ghost will come up with like a meat cleaver in his hand and no head. The scares are these like two characters navigating this like haunted hotel. Um, you would think that the whole movie would be one night in the hotel. Mm-hmm. It was weird to me that it was like this like long term investigation. Kept going back. Kept going back and <laughs> forth. Very strange setup. The thing that I think really stands out about it is that the director hasn't really done much else except that they helmed 20 episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark? Oh, God. This feels like a feature-length episode of that show. Right. Which was like, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Like, it was able to be, like, bone-chilling, but, like, not, like, stupid scary at the same time. It was, like, it's very adventurous, I guess is a good way of describing Especially Tower of Terror. Like, it's... Mm -hmm. I wouldn't put it as, like, a a spooky film or even, like, trying to be a horror film. It's more of, like, an adventure flick. Yeah, there's, like, an adventure aspect to it. They're, like... They have to, like, rouse up the bravery to go through the hotel and solve a mystery. Right, and, like... Put all the pieces together. I guess like Jumanji, since Kristen, uh, Kristen Dunst is in the film, uh, would be a good comparison point. Mm-hmm. Like that movie has a lot of like quote unquote scary elements to it, but it's not like a horror film. Right. It's like an action adventure that just happened has a lot of danger for like children to be sucked into. It's really interesting too how like, I mean, Steve Gutenberg has had like some stupid roles. I mean, the boyfriend's school and you know, things like this, but he gives it his all. Like he's not bad. He's not I a like bad him. actor at all. I like him in this movie. Like, yeah, he gives a shit and I love that. I think he was born to play a goofy uncle. I think it was like mm-hmm. the perfect role for Steve him. Steve Goofenberg. Goofenberg. <laughs> as far as like within the pantheon of uh, Disney rides, that were later turned into movies. The more interesting aspect of this is that the actual exterior of the ride is used as the exterior of the hotel. So, like, you see the real Tower of Terror in the movie. Like, that's mm-hmm. its actual facade, which I thought was kind of interesting. Since then, and even since I've been to Disney World, it was last March I went, the ride has been shut down. No! Uh, it's being converted into a Guardians of the Galaxy ride. Oh, fuck. <laughs> You're kidding me. No, not at all. You're kidding me. I'm pretty sure. You're kidding me. No. <laughs> I didn't know this. Yeah, it's such an iconic ride, too. I know. I mean, that was like, oh, Jesus Christ. And they talked about uh, around 2015 maybe redoing this movie and like making a real Tower of Terror But they're going to get rid of the fucking ride? But they're getting rid of the ride, so I don't know if that's going to happen or not. God, sacks of shit. Like, who's, <laughs> doing th- who's doing this? Well, uh, since Disney bought Star Wars <laughs> and Marvel, like they're going to be doing a lot more like Marvel and Star Wars but stuff. It's not even like magic. Yeah, it's a it's whole... It's not even magical. It's more of like a universal kind of thing to have like that kind of tie into me. I guess so. But, I mean, there's nothing wrong with like incorporating all that but don't get rid of that was such a great ride and you I have a thing for hotels and it was just like I were oh god that was like one of the best experiences yeah that I've ever had and I was oh I can't do it again yeah it's I can't gone do it again, but I have, I have pictures and memories I really like the noir like old Hollywood uh like, framing of jazz. yeah and there's like all these like Dutch angles like tilted shots yeah. and like big band swing music that and, fun party that they get yeah. to go to whenever they like get out of hell yeah, it's a, it's a really it's fun. fun movie. It's like, for a Disney Channel film, it stands out really well. It's good. So, the next film on the list came three years later. Don't talk uh, Came out in the year 2000. Somehow, they got Brian De Palma to direct this film. Uh, he's like one of the great new Hollywood upstarts. Uh, movies like, I don't know, Body Double and Carrie. Scarface. And Scarface. Um, my fave, Fan of the Paradise. I know oh, it's a fave of yours Fantastic as well. film. 
I think like what happened was like Brian De Palma saw something he shouldn't have seen at Disney and then they were like, now you have to do this or we'll kill you. <laughs> well, he was brought on after other directors, like which is probably why this doesn't feel like a Brian De Palma movie. Like, the movie was like already set to film and they brought him on to direct after other people left the project. Uh, this was... Mission to Mars from the year 2000. The original Mission to Mars ride was opened with the park in 55. Opened with Disneyland. Disney, okay. So not Disney World. No, Disneyland in California. Okay, cool. Um, So it was opened in 55 and it was originally called Flight to the Moon. And since we went to the moon decade after that uh, in the 60s, they (laughs) had to like... exciting. Yeah, they had to like redo it. They're like, okay, let's make it Mission to Mars instead of Flight to the Moon. Uh, And they just like slightly altered it so that you go to Mars instead of the moon. So what would happen if we... Would they just keep, like, jumping to different planets if they would have kept it open? What happened was in 1992, (laughs) they shut the ride down, and it became, like, Extraterrestrial Encounter or something like that. Sounds cooler. This is part of Tomorrowland, which is, like, a subset of the park that's all, like, futuristic bullshit. Um, The the, coolest one. I love Tomorrowland. Yeah, me too. Totally. Um, And this one is got that 50s, like, optimism for the future where you're like, gee willikers, let's go to the space. Mm -hmm. And, like, (laughs) once they get to these alien planets, they just, like, take off their helmets and, like, enjoy their, like, life out in the open. Right. uh, It's a good time. Yeah. That's fine, but, like... There's no life in this movie. Like, I don't think Brian De Palma had any, like, passion for this project. It feels so weird immediately. The first title card of the movie says, A Brian De Palma Film... And there's playing this like awful Zydeco music at like a backyard barbecue where all these like astronauts are like preparing to go to space. But that's the most exciting part of the movie. Is the barbecue? <laughs> I think so. I have a different opinion on that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I like Don Cheadle in this movie playing like a, a space dad who like interacts with his kid. Turns into like what you call it, Tom Hanks. Oh, <laughs> Castaway. Castaway. He also he reminded turned, me of uh, that. Robin Williams in um, Jumanji. Oh, because uh, he gets stranded on Mars like loses and has to be saved. But basically, the movie starts with the barbecue, right? The astronauts are preparing for this trip to space. Yeah. Don Cheadle and his crew go to Mars without any rocket launch. Like, it jumps immediately from the barbecue to Don Cheadle being on Mars all of a sudden with his like space crew. Because <laughs> it happens that fast. There's this giant sentient snake tornado that comes out of the Mars surface and like destroys his crew. Uh, and for a PG movie, there's like a guy who gets twirled into the tornado so fast that his like limbs get ripped off one by one which was like kind of a shocking moment but like we said Don Chino gets stranded there and becomes this like Robin Williams and Jumanji character where he goes feral and gets like this beard Mm -hmm. Uh, which is a shame because he's the only interesting actor in this movie Uh, Tim Robbins is so fucking boring in this Gary Sinise is a creep but nobody mentions the fact that he's a creep they just kind of let it go Jerry O'Connell plays this like horny bro who's like a complete ass right and we just watched them go on this really long rescue mission to save Don Cheadle for two hours it is an eternity do you have any positive things to say about Mission to Mars oh my god so I'm, I'm not a fan of like these types of space movies like you know I know I'll get smited from this from like the movie gods but fucking 2001 A Space Odyssey oh no I do not oh god you couldn't pay me enough to sit down through that thing again I just don't like it it's just the most boring thing in the world to me it's like you know how for Christmas time you can like get that video of just the fireplace playing in the background Mm -hmm. like this is what that movie reminds me of so you know I mean it does have like some redeeming qualities like the visual aspects of the movie are awesome like I love like the whole like you know you're in you know either a fancy like clean white high-tech 
environment or you're in this like dusty nasty planet mars i'd say the (laughs) like one like really well done shot in the film is the shot that directly apes 2001 a space odyssey uh and it's this one long tracking shot the way that de palma likes to do Mm -hmm. where you watch the astronauts in the space station go in like a circle because like gravity and the space station is different and this one shot where they like walk um on the ceiling almost Uh, and it's very similar to a shot in 2001 i love 2001 but i think it's a uh a visual film. Right. And that's how I kind of looked at this one. Like the plot isn't very strong. Like I have to say it does get a little more exciting at the end whenever they discover the DNA situation. Are we talking about Mission to Mars? Yeah. Okay. I will say the last 20 minutes of this movie, I love to death. They're cool. Yeah. Right. But it's like you have to wait two hours to get there. Yeah. And it's like two hours too long where it's like, okay, we can give two shits. I mean, about what your experience in the ship is. If you're going to be so boring about it, do something else in the ship while you're waiting. Make a couple of jokes. Don't get weird. Whatever. But yeah, like the whole idea of like, you know, them being like, oh, this isn't like a signature. Like they're trying to like ask us a question. And then you eventually find out like the ultimate like little twist in the end, which I thought was fucking really cool. Yeah. Is that like we're like descendants from Mars. Yeah. Which we're going right back to it. Scientology. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Thetans and. Thetans are real, y'all. Xanus or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, most of the movie is these like prolonged scenes of like problem solving and like this rescue mission is not working because, oh, all of a sudden there's a hole in the hull. How do we solve that problem? Apparently how you solve it is you hold up a packet of Dr. Pepper up to the camera so that you see that Dr. Pepper is what's saving the day. Uh, and that's how you locate the hole in the hull and then you fix it. And then you once... head over to the corner store and you crack open a cold Dr. Pepper. There's also this scene that I swear lasts seven hours of just... <laughs> Uh, Tim Robbins floating out in space where they're all tethered together and like freezing to death and it just will not end and they're using these little poots of like uh, <laughs> oxygen to like propel themselves out and like pew 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 that scene made me want to like die like I really would have just <laughs> rather died than finish the movie saying this like I am like the whole idea of like space travel it's it just hasn't been something that I've had like a heavy interest in mm-hmm. but for someone who really does love it i think that this movie would like kick ass for them i don't know you it's... think i mean just like being able to i don't know it almost felt like it's so boring but it sort of has the pace of like maybe what a mission would be like i don't know i feel like 2001 has like a passion to it that this one doesn't like there's like a weird religious reverence for like the enormity of space and like what's out there in the cosmos and what it means to us as human beings I don't think Mission of Mars has any of that. I think it's just like, like I said, minute to minute problem solving and these like not compelling mm-hmm. scenes. Am I loving it like Mission to Mars more than I thought I did? <laughs> because I was going to say something else I liked. <laughs> so I thought I hated all of it. I don't hate all of it. There's some cool parts of it. But the uh, part where Tim Robbins like takes his helmet off and his like whole fucking head just like turns into black dust. Like pew. I was just that glad was the scene neat. was over. <laughs> I know you're just like kill yourself like not like kill yourself but like he didn't kill himself he sacrificed himself for his team but it was kind of like i guess that was like the heartwarming part where it's like you know i want my team to survive but you're just like take the helmet off so we can see what else is gonna happen i just uh, i just wish the movie were as crazy as the last 20 minutes right when you get to this like life is from mars like conspiracy theory kind of stuff projection where like humans were like a seed planted by these aliens Mm -hmm. and the alien in the movie looks like terrible like screensaver cgi (laughs) but it's at least interesting like the rest of the film is not interesting it was a really smart like ending have you seen prometheus 
I like Prometheus. I love Prometheus. I have a theory that this is the movie people are actually describing when they complain about Prometheus. Like people complain that Prometheus is slow, that the scientists are dumb, and that all the like philosophy about how aliens are like the birth of humanity is like overreaching. I think that Mission to Mars fulfills all the criteria of complaints that people are like lobbing right. when they're talking about Prometheus. Right, and that's the thing, like Prometheus, if anything, was just like exciting. Right. It was like it was like a nonstop pleasure, you know? And it's gorgeous. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think this movie is gorgeous and in it's any way. Smart. <laughs> I, I, be, I believe Prometheus is like the better version of this movie in every way. And there's like bloody deaths, which is nice <laughs> for like a horror fan to see that. And I think Disney has a problem with this like G Willikers like futurism where I usually appreciate it. Mm-hmm. This is not my favorite version of it, but most audiences don't. Like I feel like modern audiences are like very cynical about stuff. Like I guess the Rocketeer would be an example. Um, yeah, John Carter of Mars oh. or whatever. Uh, like I feel like there's a G. Willikers' futurism that Disney like portrays that audiences do not eat up, hmm. which is part of the reason this one was savaged. But even as somebody who enjoys that kind of like optimism and like I don't care about realistic stuff once you get to space, like take your fucking helmet off, touch all the plants, I don't give a shit. Right. Like I just want it to be like exciting and interesting. Mm-hmm. A lot of audiences don't like that. I usually do. Even being on board with that style of like media, this one still bored me to death. So yeah, not not many things I could say about this one. I do I think, think we the, said too much. I think the last twenty minutes are worth watching. Right. Yeah. So I would just like basically read a summary of the first like hour and a half, and then just pick up from there. Yeah. And then you're good. So the next movie on the list, I was actually expecting to hate with all of my heart, and I really liked it. Uh, it's from two thousand two. It's titled The Country Bears. Let it ride! This is based (laughs) off of a uh, Chuck E. Cheese type attraction where you watch these hideous animatronic bears sing country music Mm -hmm. for, I don't know, probably half an hour. I've I've never actually seen this attraction. I have, and like I was saying earlier, like my whole Disney World experience when I was like eight was fucking awesome, and I remember it so vividly. But I vividly remember hating the Country Bears Jamboree so much. It was like the asshole of Disney World. And this movie made me relive it. (laughs) So, okay. This movie is 88 minutes long. It's just these like animatronic bears voiced by people like Stephen Root and Toby Huss and an actor from Drew Carey's show. I can't remember his name. You basically watch this uh, young kid voiced by Haley Joel Osment Mm -hmm. who's also an animatronic bear. Barry Barrington. Barry Barrington. He's really cute, though. I think he's a good character. You watch him uh, grow up loving the country bears, and then he decides he wants to get the band back together. Because they were this, like, Grateful Dead, the band type (laughs) hybrid that have been, like, dispersed across the country and broken up. And he wants to reunite them to save the concert hall where they used to play all their concerts. Yeah. Country Bear Hall. Before Christopher Walken, who's another evil 80s business dick, uh, destroys the hall because it's not making any profit. Um, and he just likes to smash stuff. He's like Wile E. Coyote in this movie. Oh, totally. (laughs) Super cartoonish. This was directed by a guy who wrote for Animaniacs and created uh, Pinky in the Brain. Okay. I really like it. I think the jokes are really funny. Usually with movies like this, like, uh, I'd say like Garbage Pail Kids, Howard the Duck, Monster Trucks from this year. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of other examples. Super Mario Brothers. Uh, it's really fascinating to me when, like, movies that are supposed to be innocuous and, like, forgotten, these, like, children's films, actually end up being, like, visually terrifying and, like, kind of absurd. And since the movie's only 88 minutes, it never wore off for me 
watching these bears play country music on guitars in these like hideous costumes. Just staring into their dead eyes. Every time I looked mm-hmm. up at the screen, I'm just like, oh, I uh, still find this weird. Like it, the weirdness of it never wore off until it was over. This was hell for you? It was an interesting experience. <laughs> so this, the movie like opens up with them playing like Let It Ride and they're like these big fat bears flying across, doing fly jumps across a stage. And it's just the way that the bears look. They're just, it looks like they were pulled out of an attic. It's like this moldy, musty, like matted hair. It's a fucking nightmare. Stuffed animal look. And they like move. They wiggle their little ears and like (laughs) squint at you. (laughs) And their their mouth moves with their eyes don't. And, the, and then you have Barry Barrington, who's like the main kid. He's and cute. He's adorable. And it's you feel so bad for him because his brother's such an ass. And he's like, you don't belong with us. And it's almost, I don't know. The first sad. scene of the movie is him be like, mom, dad, am I adopted? Because he has like human parents. Uh, one of whom is uh, Steven Topolowski, who's in a bunch of like right. uh, movies. I did want to mention that when I watched this, I watched it on YouTube. And one of the YouTube comments that were on there was a girl who wrote... I remember seeing this three times so me and my middle school boyfriend can make out the entire time. So, <laughs> that's like the first thing I saw and I'm like, why? I want to know like what this girl's up to now in her like adult life. But um, yeah, Barry Barrington, like you just really, your heart kind of goes out to him and he's just really like, he's just so innocent and sweet. I don't know. I loved him. He was my favorite. I think he's one of the weirder ones because like most of them look like regular bears. They're just bears that happen to play banjos and harmonicas. But um, <laughs> Barry Barrington is like the cute kid bear was interesting. Right. And also Bonnie Raitt's like sexy fuck me Ooh, bear was um, like horrifying. What's her name again? Trixie. Trixie. Yeah. Trixie Bear. <laughs> Tennessee was in love with her. Yeah. Tennessee was played by um, Don Henley from the Eagles. Uh, and there's a scene where the real Bonnie Raitt and Don Henley are like giving compliments right. to their and bear like, versions. Oh, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Um, they have some interesting like guest singing people in here i guess is the way to say it there's that song the kid in you the girl singing the kid in you like the kid in you crystal harris is her name Mm -hmm. and she actually did a song called like supergirl from the princess diaries so her music career just like revolved around like disney movies Mm -hmm. so she never really hit it off poor thing i really like that sequence where she sings that song is like a pop music video and i like that the movie as short as it is is just like a series of set pieces like they go to a wedding they go to elton john's house (laughs) he's the gardener but it's not really the gardener he's just hanging out in his garden they go to a diner and then there's like the final concert the concert hall the diner and you go back to the diner oh yeah but just to say like Especially that pop music bit and the diner. Mm-hmm. I really like that the movie is just a series of set pieces. Like, there's not a lot of plot, really. Right. But uh, it's not boring. No. It's always something different going on. Yeah, and it's yeah. and it's quick. I will say the diner was one of my favorite parts of the movie. Well, the girl who's singing in the diner is, Jenna, is it Jennifer Page. You know that song from the 90s that's like, It's just a little crush. Oh, yeah. That's her. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I like that song. But yeah, that was her. So it was kind of cool, like... Seeing these, you know, ish, kind of ish celebrities. But okay, her part in the diner, right? Yes. Like, I want to look at this movie like a Howard the Duck or Mac and Me or something like that, <laughs> where like the absurdity of its own existence and like the absurdity of the character design is like most of the attraction to it. But a lot of like the actual jokes were very funny to me. Like in the diner, when she starts singing her song, and the diner where the bears are eating and she's their waitress starts to like break apart and become this giant musical number. 
In one of the booths, the old ladies that are sitting at one of the tables start breaking out saxophones and like singing along to the song. <laughs> and it's like an actually legitimately funny gag to me. Like mm-hmm. it's a funny gag. Like it's, yeah, there are like really funny parts to it. And the honey bar with Queen uh, yeah. Latifah. I mean, that's, all that's like pretty funny and quirky. There's another scene where um, cops get beaten up by a car wash. Uh, <laughs> the cop sticks his head out of the car to like look ahead of him because they're in the middle of a chase that goes through a car wash. And he sticks out his head to like see how far ahead the, the country bears have gotten from him. And he just gets sucked out of the window by the car wash and just gets the, the shit kicked out of him by all the different instruments in there. And it's just a funny kids movie gag to me. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it isn't terrible. It's entertaining, if anything. What about Christopher Walken doing musical armpit farting? Nope. Nope. Not funny? I was not feeling it. I cried laughing. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. It was just like his face while he was doing it. Yeah. I don't need to be backed up on this. Like, if I'm the only person in the world who enjoys the Country Bears film, I'm totally okay with that. So be it. But I think it's like a really fun movie. Are you going to watch it again? Yeah. I I would... (laughs) If I ever saw this at like a Goodwill or like a uh, Big Lots on DVD, I will buy it. Okay. Uh, I enjoyed it. I would put it in the top three of the movies we watched for this episode. Okay. A movie I would not put in the top three (laughs) is the next film on the list from 2003, The Haunted Mansion. (laughs) This is another dark ride in Disney World. Um, It's a haunted house kind of like Tower of Terror. Mm -hmm. But instead of the elevator, you basically just sit in these like moving cars. And there's like all these holographic ghosts that Mm -hmm. go around. Some of them are like dancing in a ballroom. And then when you're leaving, there's like a, the payoff is like you're in a mirror and there's like a ghost sitting next to you in your car. This movie version was directed by the guy who did Lion King and Stuart Little. It's starring Eddie Murphy and it's basically Eddie Murphy is this like realtor who cares way more about making money than he cares about his kids. Evers and Evers. Oh god. So this is kind of like that 80s business dick kit villain again uh-huh. uh, yeah. where he just like cares Ooh. so much about making money and not about spending time with his children. Because his family to the side. They're supposed to go on a vacation together to like get away from the business and like be together for the weekend and he derails their vacation to go check out this property he wants to like sell uh, that ends up being the haunted mansion. Uh, when they're inside it turns out that his wife is very similar to the woman who's in all the oil paintings in the uh, mansion and the people who live there currently are all ghosts who believe that she is the ghost of someone who killed like, herself by hanging uh, in, the, in the actual mansion years before. Master Gracie's love. Some actually like great performances from Terrence Stamp, Wallace Shawn, and Jennifer Tilly as the various ghosts. Yeah. I liked them all in the film, but any second of content where Eddie Murphy is talking is like the biggest comedy killer of all time. Like it just hurts to he- watch him do jokes. Like, I was trying to, like, figure it out. Like, is this movie bad or did Eddie Murphy fuck this movie up? <laughs> you know? And I could... It's, I still don't know 100%, but I think I'll, Eddie Murphy just fucking sucked in this movie. Like, he'll do a bit for three minutes about whacking a spider with a magazine. And so obnoxious. It feels like failed improv. Mm-hmm. Like, if that was written on the page and they filmed it and they thought that was the best take... I'd rather not believe that than believe that it was failed improv. This was like another movie, and I feel like Mission to Mars, like I kind of mentioned how it felt like it was forced almost, but like someone put a gun to someone's head and was like, make this movie. It does not feel like anyone gave a shit about it. Well, I mentioned the director being the director of like Lion King and Stuart Little. And they're good. I like those movies. Those are fine, but I don't, I don't think they're like passionate projects from like an auteur. Like, I feel like they're just like corporate right. 
like boardroom decisions. Right. And this movie feels like it, it feels like a boardroom decision that like spiraled out of hand. Like it should never have been made into a film. Well, here's the thing. Like I think the plot was really good. The execution was shit. And it sucks because there's not a lot of movies out there that are focused around like black families. Yeah. And it's like we have one, but it's horrible. And there's something weird about that too. Like the main villain who's like the the handsome wealthy ghost who owns the mansion wants to quote unquote get jiggy with Eddie Murphy's wife. Right. Ugh. The weird thing is that like he's that a white well, he's also a white villain, right? And his beloved, who he misses, was a black woman from a different century where, like, those power dynamics would have been, like, really off balance. And I don't understand why the movie did that. Like, why wouldn't it just cast, like, an all-black cast on both sides? Well, I think that made it more interesting because it's almost like he talked about how their love was, like, taboo. And I thought that was really cool because, I mean, it's kind of bringing back how, like, you know, things used to be and that, you know, and how shitty it is. And it caused this man to live in hell most of his life because he couldn't be with someone he loved, essentially for the color of her skin. That's interesting. So I thought, but they didn't, like, play on that as they don't much really as do they could anything have. With it, and yeah. that could have been so cool. But, right, because at first I was, like, kind of thrown off by it. And then I'm like putting the pieces together and it's like okay master gracie this big like plantation like mansion this woman who like he couldn't be with but why couldn't he be with her it all kind of like came together but that could have really really helped this movie out if they would have played more with that well the problem is you don't spend any time with the villain or right. with eddie murphy's wife you just watch eddie murphy try to save his wife and kids try who to are, kill like, some spiders that whole idea like i thought i felt really uncomfortable I don't know like when I watch movies like this I'm like if I was a parent and I was in movie theater watching this with my children like the fact that he was like trying to get jiggy with my wife and there's like kids there and it's like oh you could have said something another way it's not cute it's weird like don't make it all sexual this ghost is trying to sexually assault your wife like why are you telling like Will Smith jokes right now right right like oh stop like god Eddie Murphy sucks in this movie but not in general I don't like a lot of his movies but he fell off at some point. There's like some dramatic. I think Daddy like, fall- Daycare caused it. But yeah, like in his SNL and like right. Beverly Hills Cop days, like yeah, he was fantastic. more on top of coming the world. to America. Uh, there are like legitimately spooky <laughs> things in the movie, though. Uh, the makeup effects were done by Rick Baker, who yeah. did like the Howling and the Funhouse. We talked about that earlier. Yeah, he did the makeup effects for that. Oh, cool. Uh, and a bunch of like brilliant '80s films. And I feel like there's like a great balance of like actual horror in the movie. There's like these like spider swarms and like these like. Harryhausen skeleton armies and like Terrence Stamp is like legitimately scary as the butler but anytime you get excited about like the horror content Eddie Murphy swoops in and tells like an awful joke that just like sucks all the oxygen out of the room like I really like the scene where he's going in the mausoleum to get the key and then like it wakes the dead yeah that's pretty awesome yeah and that feels like the most Rick Baker part of the film Mm -hmm. is like the skeletons crawling around him and there's like a Billy Bones type like uh, (laughs) zombie as well love Billy Bones I kind of wish that the ghosts were cooler or they would have played more with like different types of ghosts. Like there's that one part where they go through the graveyard and there's like some funky ghost stuff happening, but it's so short that I feel like if that was like more constant with like, you know, maybe someone with like their head come, you know, in their hand or all that kind of like, you know, silly ghost stuff. Yeah. That would have been a lot cooler. I mean, there's more of it. I could have done with a thousand times more Wallace Shawn in the movie. He's like, is always exciting to me. Him and Jennifer Tilly. 
She was great. Yeah. She basically plays like Jombie <laughs> from uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse, where she's just oh, like yeah. a, a, just a, head in a, a head in a jar. <laughs> like Telling you what to do. Yeah. But while Sean does his like loud talking that he does in like uh, uh, Princess Bride and like Clueless and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, like that kind of like cat. But he's funny yeah. in it. Yeah, so they're cool. It's just the... Eddie, I think Eddie Murphy ruined it. And he's 90% of the film, like... Almost every scene has Eddie Murphy in it. And on the cover, I remember the cover being like really cool, but then at the top is Eddie fucking Murphy's face <laughs> and this green smoke, and it's like, ugh. You were talking about like parents watching the movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. One of the parents that actually was watching the theater was Guillermo del Toro, oh. who was like, I want to remake this. Uh, and he's been like working on the rights to remake it since it came out. And I totally get what he saw. Like, uh, when we were talking about Tower of Terror, the movie I was imagining we were going to watch was kind of like this haunted house experience where, like, Mm -hmm. it was all going to be, like, one trip through the haunted house, which is more what the haunted mansion is. And I feel like Guillermo del Toro would do a much better job of, like, balancing comedy with horror in that way. Right. But if you think about it, tasteful. Uh, recently he just did Crimson Peak, which is kind of like that movie. So yeah. maybe he already got it out of his system. But I don't know. There's just really nothing to recommend in this one to me. No, it's, just, it's sad though because I think the story is cool. Like the plot of it's really great, but freaking Eddie Murphy fucked it all up. Um, and which is a shame because of all the Disney rides. I know we were talking about Tower of Terror earlier. I That's think one of the coolest. Haunted Mansion is one of the coolest. It's ones. a good one. Yeah. Yeah. The next one you were talking about, you went on your senior trip and Woo! saw it. Five times. Uh, <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Um, there are five of these movies, but we only watched one for this conversation. Thank mm-hmm. God. Curse of the Black Pearl from 2003. Woo! Uh, directed by Gore Verbinski. Uh, I believe this is another dark ride where you watch like animatronic pirates and birds and stuff in this like closed environment. It's like this dark kind of... like You're in a boat and it's just... It's so peaceful because you can just hear like the water splashing around you. And it's like really, really cool. Like that, You know, when you're in Disney World, you're, it's like always freaking hot as hell. And it's just like one of those rides you go in to like cool off and relax and just kind of enjoy what's around you. Originally, it was conceived as a wax museum where people just like walk through it. But instead they made like this artificial environment, like you said. And Make a boat. It was set during the War of 1812 in like the Louisiana bayous, which oh, I thought really? was kind of interesting. Huh. Uh, but the movie is not like that at all. It's set in Britain where Johnny Depp plays this pirate, Jack Sparrow, who's this kind of like... Mick Jagger, effeminate type who... Who's uh, not like a really good pirate? It's weird. Yeah, they keep calling him the worst pirate I've ever seen in the movie. It's like one of the jokes. Right, but he's he's good. Uh, I guess. He knows how to get away. I have a hard part. time looking at Johnny Depp. Like, just looking at him like, gross. Basically, since this movie's come out, his estimation as like one of the greatest actors of all time is like completely plummeted into this like self-parody and then even worse towards like a real-life monster who like beats his wife. And uh, he's just... Every time he's like doing anything in public he's like wasted and just says something like super stupid it's hard to like separate that from when you're watching one of his movies but yeah so it's kind of difficult watching this and that this feels like the beginning of the end for him right like everything before this movie i would say i pretty much enjoyed him in yeah Even- i liked him as jack sparrow i thought he, he did it well like the funky like funny drunk Okay, I'll admit my prejudice up front. I don't care about swashbuckling at all. We talked about this a little bit during Jaws when, like, there's that one triumphant moment in the in the John Williams score where they're, like, harpooning the shark and it's like... Uh-huh. I just, like, shut down. Like, my body just, like, turns off. Uh, and this movie is a tolerable, to me, version of swashbuckling where you just watch these pirates go back and forth. Uh, there's this dead army headed by Jeffrey Rush. So cool. That though. used to be Jack Sparrow's 
navy and they're looking for all their like stolen gold and that's like 90% of it is just this like swashbuckling kind of exaggerated heroics but I just could not possibly give a shit about it and the fact that it's two hours and like 23 minutes really just drains me like I was just so exhausted by the time it was over yeah I get that I do get that with this but it inspired, like, a huge craze. Like, I feel like around the mid-2000s, like, Pirates was, like, a really big thing. I mean, it's still, like, people still love the Pirate series. There's four sequels. Mm-hmm. That means that and there's a huge still, audience. they're still kicking them out. I don't know. I kind of wish that this was, like, the Louisiana version where they're, like, in the swamps. Like, the Jean Lafitte. Uh, that would be kind of cool. Because if you think about, like, the Zydeco introduction to Mission to Mars would have fit a lot better with, with this <laughs> film. But I don't know. I just, I don't really care about it. It was interesting. I loved the whole, you know, um, when the pirates were in the moonlight and they sort of turned to this like undead crew. Yeah, very Harryhausen as well. That's really cool. Yeah. That I really liked. I don't know. It, it was just, it was so, I don't know. It reminds me a lot of like how I feel. I got the same feeling when I watch like Lord of the Rings movies where they're just like really long and they're not bad at all. It's like they're highly entertaining, but it's just sort of like, Lord of the Rings is one of those series that I can watch as eye candy, but cannot focus on the plot at all. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't know what the intricate beats of the story is, because my mind just can't focus on it. Well, it took me watching it like 10 or 12 times for me to really, like, pick up. Um, but it's so pretty in general that, like, I never d- did not like it, but I liked it more the more I watched it. And I feel like that's how Pirates was for me, because I watched it initially, and then I was like, what was that all about? You know, like, after I finished it. So then I had to watch it again. And I paid more attention to, like, the plot. Because at first I was just kind of like, look at these cool-ass, like, undead pirates. That medallion's really neat. Look at their clothes. This is pretty cool. Like, I was more focused on, like, how cool the ship looked. And, like, all of the sort of the visuals of it that I'm like, wait, what just happened? Like, what was the whole point of this movie? And then I rewatched it and I was like, oh, okay. Like, I paid more attention to that. I think the difference between this and, like, Lord of the Rings, though, is that you're rooting for fucking monsters. Their main goal is to rape, pillage, and plunder. And he says that. They (laughs) say rape in the movie. And there's, like, these sequences where they're trying to kidnap Keira Knightley's character. Mm -hmm. Who's like, oh, I don't want to be this like prim British woman who wears corsets and almost passes out because she can't breathe. Mm-hmm. I want to be a pirate. And they're like trying to kidnap and abduct her so they can defile her. Right. And fucking, it's supposed to be funny. Like there's these like Home Alone type like physical comedy gags about them like failing to abduct her and bring her back to the ship. Jesus Christ. And I just like can't get past like the like nastiness of that i don't want to root for these rapist thieves well yeah like the whole time i'm just the guy that i'm rooting for is like orlando bloom's character because he's sort of you know like the overlooked peasant kid yeah and i love i love those characters in movies where they're sort of like the underdog and well well, there's two sides of the divide there's the pirates and there's the British Navy. They both are, suck. And he's sort of in the middle. And Keira mm-hmm. Knightley, I would say, is in the middle as well. Where like, right. They don't really fit in either Where it's like, world. yeah, they're like their own team, I feel. And then yeah. Jack Sparrow is just kind of like hopping around in the background. So Jack Sparrow wasn't my favorite character. It was more so of like Orlando Bloom's character in there that I really liked. And he's polite. But I don't know. Once she's <laughs> once she's abducted by the like dead pirates, it becomes like a total like damsel in distress, like classic swashbuckling story where mm-hmm. you watch Orlando Bloom try to like 
get her back into his possession. And... I think I, I kind of like that though. It's kind of like an old fashioned story. It's very old fashioned. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Which I mean, at the same time, it's like, of course, it's not like ideal, but it's still like, I don't know. It reminds me of like a fairy tale, you know, just like a, a story being read out loud. Yeah. Uh, I think it's one. Of, uh, I wonder if the other movies are like that. I've, I, this is the first time I've seen it. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know. I have not seen any Pirates movie. So I don't know, like, if the other ones follow the same pattern or if she becomes sort of a different. Because I know she's in, like, the other ones. If she develops more as a character or. Yeah, I don't remember either. I may have seen one more. I wasn't never, like, into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I did like her a lot, though. Like, I like Kira Knightley. Like, just her, her acting skills in here are pretty cool. Like, I mean, the only part I can, like, really identify with the movie is when they go to, like, the pirate town and it's all just, like, sex workers and drunks and it's, like, <laughs> sort of, like, never ending Bacchanal. And I was like, oh, I could I live there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the soundtrack, though, let's talk about that. Like, I love the soundtrack. I never owned the movie or I never saw the movie, but I used to give a, a guy in my neighborhood a ride to school in high school in the morning when I, I got my car and he left his Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack CD in my <laughs> car and I still have it. So I listen to it a lot. Like I love the soundtrack, but I never saw the movie. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it's so, I've never done that before where I'm just like, I'm listening to like the instrumental part of a movie and I love it, but I never saw the movie. So I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like, I'm just out of my league here. It's just not my thing. Like mm-hmm. most soundtracks I've had like that where I like listen to the music by itself. It's just like synth scores and like that 80s action movie, like John Carpenter sound. I don't know. And back to Lord, like the Lord of the Rings soundtrack is one of my favorites. I can't do it either. Oh, it's just good to like put in the background while you're like reading or while you're doing like, you know, you're cleaning your house or you're cooking something. I love to like chop onions to like the parts of the Caribbean soundtrack. With the like run times in these movies, maybe make you think twice about watching all five of them. The fact that they're all like two and a half to three hours long. <sighs> that's unappealing to me. So that's why I'm like, you know, it wasn't horrible. And I like to give stuff a chance. So I think I will, but I'm definitely going to have to be in a certain mindset to like actually sit down, watch them and enjoy it. Like, I don't want to be, you know, in a rush, you know, rushing it. I don't want to like, I don't know, like the weather has to be a certain way. Like it has to be a special thing like that where I have like eight hours to spare and just focus on it. Yeah. And I feel like I would like it. That's what I do for the Lord of the Rings movies. Like it's like I have to dedicate like an entire day to them. Well, okay. It sounds like you were more into pirates than I was. I was more into country bears than you were. <laughs> yes, you were. I'm okay with being wrong if that's the uh, trade-off. Um, and what's also I wanted to mention, like, so Haunted Mansion and Pirates came out in the same year. Mm-hmm. Like, what a kick in the ass to Haunted Mansion. Like, this yeah. is one of the most successful Disney movie franchises ever. And it's like, wow, they really just, like, farted that one out. I feel like if Haunted Mansion and Pirates had both failed, these, like, Disney ride movies might have died. But then they made, like, five more (laughs) Pirates movies. The next movie on the list (laughs) is from 2015, which is a huge jump. This is called Tomorrowland, which isn't based on a ride specifically, but like we said earlier, like, an area of the park. And it's this futuristic, like, G. Willikers kind of, like, space optimism. Uh, And that would include, like, Space Mountain and Mission to Mars. Mm -hmm. And there's probably a a lot of new, like, Star Wars stuff associated with it. It was built with the park in the 1950s. So there's like an original version of the park. And I think they used to have like Frontierland and like uh-huh. Fantasyland. And- um, actually, like just to mention real quick. So I um, used to stay up late and sometimes on the Disney Channel, like if you stayed up past like midnight, they had something called like, I think it was like Walt Disney, where like Walt, it was Walt Disney and he would talk about like his inspiration 
for like all the different lands. Like he had like the fantasy land and like this vault open and it was like him like back in the day and he was like talking and it, it, it focused on the parks with all these funky little cartoons. That's awesome. It was so great and he did one with Tomorrowland and it was a lot of fun. Okay, this movie was directed by Brad Bird who did The Incredibles and Iron Giant. I feel like both of those movies have this same sort of like space age futurism, like return to the 1950s kind of thing. Uh, The interesting Mm -hmm. thing that Tomorrowland does is it pits the 50s optimism against how we see the future now in our Mm -hmm. dystopian movies where like everything in the future is all pessimistic because of like real life problems like global warming and nuclear warfare like we're right. actually worried about the world ending in the future right we're not looking forward to the possibility of like what it'll be like, like when flying we, cars when we go to the like moon that. and like yeah. all this stuff the movie makes that a central plot point and i think to its detriment that's why it failed to the theater movies like the rocketeer and like we said earlier john carter of mars those movies do not do well financially uh, and i think even the iron giant failed at the movie theater and found an audience later in vhs i really like this movie i think it might be my favorite brad bird film uh you watch a teenage girl who's like optimistic about the future and like wants to fix things she recognizes that global warming and nuclear warfare and all these problems are real her take on it is like what can we do to fix it right the rest of the world has just sort of resigned itself to like falling apart like and eh, it'll happen we're just going to embrace it and deal with it when it hits representing that pessimism would be George Clooney who Mm -hmm. used to have her shared optimism in the 50s but now he's like an old bitter man they are wrapped up in this plot to connect to this distant alternative dimension called Tomorrowland where all the future's brightest smartest creators scientists and artists have built this like fantasy separate from reality where they can all work on futuristic ideas Mm -hmm. Um, but it's become this sort of like separate elitist uh, society that has locked itself away from the rest of the world and sort of like waiting for it to fall apart and die. Right. I saw this in the movie theater. Oh, cool. I gave it a fairly strong review at the time. I gave it like a three and a half out of five because I really appreciated it. And then just over the years of like defending it because it got bad reviews and like bad box office returns, my love of it is like only increased. Like, and being in a position of defending it as good has made me like more calcified in like my arguments. To its strengths. Nice. And watching it this year for this podcast, I was like, oh, I actually should have rated this movie even slightly higher than that. Was this your first time watching it? Yeah, first time watching What'd it. What'd you think about it? Um, I loved it. So awesome. I didn't expect to, like you were saying, like it had like a lot of shit reviews and I, you know, just like listening to people I know that went to like bring their kids to see it or something, they were kind of like, oh, that's so shitty. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. You know, I mean, I don't, cause I, I like George Clooney a lot. Like, I think he's an awesome actor. So I'm like, it's weird that he would do something shitty. So I didn't have like high standards going into this, but I thought it was so cool. Like the whole idea of like Tomorrowland, it just reminded me of like when you walk into Ikea for the first time, everything's just so like clean and <laughs> modern. And then everyone's like kind of dressed in this like very like futuristic 50s fashion. Yeah. Like I, I love like the Tomorrowland and I love the fact of like falling. So one of my big things like in movies that makes me nervous is like when someone falls into nothing but it's like it's you eventually hit something else like I love how like whenever you know she falls in the wheat field and she just keeps hitting like other like levels of Tomorrowland or like (laughs) whenever Frank like flies in and he like falls off the little like ledge he just keeps hitting different parts of Tomorrowland it's like it just never ends and I thought that was, like, so cool. And I did love how, like, when initially um, Casey... Okay, the teenage girl who's actually played by a 24-year-old actress who like, oh. wants to save the world. Whoa, I was like, this girl does not look like she's in high school, but yeah, she's in, like, her <laughs> mid-20s. 
So whenever she initially like gets her pin and touches it and she sees Tomorrowland, it was very like Wizard of Oz. Like when Dorothy's in the poppy field totally. and she sees Oz for the, the first em- the time. The Emerald City. It's that same like excitement of like something different and like it doesn't make it seem like terrifying though. Like it's something new and it's like, what is this? It's it's like it interesting. Is, it is kind of like the rug being pulled from under you. And I think that's interesting. There's two access points to Tomorrowland. There's, like, a physical way to go there. And then, like you said, the pins that people touch sort of plays like this virtual reality advertisement of what it could be. Right. Uh, And once you actually get there, that idealism is sort of, like, undercut. And you see, like, what it actually is. And it's, like, these elitist assholes have, like, cut off the rest of the world and, like, Mm -hmm. sort of, like, rotted in their own bullshit. It's cool. I like how um, when Frank initially goes... How they throw in the It's a Small World ride. Yeah. That's brilliant. I thought that was so fucking cool. So we've talked about six of these movies now, right? And the first one, Tower of Terror, Mm -hmm. was the only one that actually incorporated the ride where like the exterior of the hotel is the the actual ride. Right. In this one, Frank, like you said, he's a little kid and he goes on It's a Small World with this little Tomorrowland (laughs) pin and it reads the pin and then like transports into the other dimension Mm -hmm. uh and that's really cool like that's That's awesome to have that like incorporated into the film and i thought like there's not a lot of good child actors now that have that like whimsical like young optimistic like child actor vibe but like the i don't know who the kid is that plays like young frank Mm -hmm. but he's awesome yeah whoever the hell he is like he's so like that role is like what he was born to do and there's like a little um little girl who's like a terminator type robot who like yeah i love her and she like does like kung fu and stuff in the movie she's so great like um i've also liked how they you know let her be like english like the whole british accent just like made her seem like more like very calm and collected i mean she was but it it just made it feel like even more like oh she knows what she's talking about like when someone pulls out a british accent they know their shit and there's this great action set piece at a uh novelty shop that sells Mm. 1950s and 60s blast from the past yeah yeah. (laughs) in houston um with keegan michael key and katherine hahn Mm -hmm. are the two um villains in that scene and what i love about it is not only do you get to see that little british girl like sort of kick ass in Mm -hmm. this like violent action spectacle but also brad bird gets to throw in all these references to like the Millennium Falcon and Robbie the Robot and the Day the Earth Stood Still. Like, there's all this like sci-fi movie geekery in that scene. And so I'm like, when this, whenever that battle scene happens in the movie and they start destroying all that shit, I'm like, God, there's a Star Wars nerd in the audience who's about to shit his pants. Cece watching it on the couch with me was like, I can't believe how much money they're destroying in this scene. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> like all this, all that memorabilia. <laughs> and I don't know, it gets even bigger from there. There's a scene mm-hmm. where like. The Eiffel Tower in Paris is like this trans-dimensional right. antenna that That's turns into a spaceship. Cool. Hugh Laurie is the evil villain who like runs the alternate dimension Tomorrowland. And mm-hmm. he has these like robot army characters that are like used to attack the kids and stuff. Um, and it, it goes really big, but I like that it has a central purpose. Like it's not just an empty action adventure movie. It is like speaking directly to why these Disney movies fail when they do that optimistic G. Willikers futurism. It's like, people don't want it anymore. People are sad and gloomy. This version of life is dead. This highlights that whole idea. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's like, it it has a central purpose 
And it's kind of sad. Like, I wish Brad Bird could make one of these movies, like, every couple of years, you know? It was, yeah. I really liked how, like, uplifting it was, where the whole idea of, like, we make our own destiny, all this, like, bullshit of, like, you know, predictions and, like, do you want to know the date of your own death and blah, 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 where it's, like, I mean, it only happens if you really think it's going to happen. And I thought that was, like, really cool. Well, okay, when Walt Disney built Epcot, what he wanted... His planned city. His idea was that it was going to be a functional city Mm -hmm. for all these like smart brilliant people to like live in this like utopian community and this movie sort of like realizes that Mm -hmm. and like it's a fictional piece but like it realizes that concept in like a really interesting way to me and like argues its faults and its like benefits in a very interesting way right and i i just really appreciate it i think maybe the world is just a little too cynical or something Mm -hmm. doesn't want to like get on board with that kind of an right. idea. We'd rather bitch about stuff than like, just be like, oh, maybe it'll be fine. You yeah. Know? And even in in that, it even acknowledges that there are problems, mm-hmm. just like we should be more enthusiastic about solving them. Right. Bringing it back to this like New Orleans flood that just like happened. Yeah. You know, everybody's just kind of like, well, that's just it. Well, it's like, yeah, you could probably, I mean, something could be done about it. Things could be fixed. Yeah. You know? And I think a lot, you know, that's just like how the times are now where people are just like, they accept it. Yeah. And it's like, it is what it is. But I mean, you can change it. You yeah. be more enthusiastic about like doing what you that need to do. That phrase is help. so self-defeating. It is what it is. Like, mm-hmm. God, it's yeah. so sad <laughs> when you hear it. Yeah. Okay. So my favorite three movies in this list, I'd say the top tier uh-huh. were Tomorrowland, Tower of Terror, and I liked Country Bears. Right. I knew that was going to be on there. Mission to Mars and Haunted Mansion, we both disliked. Right. You liked Pirates? I liked it. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So I'd say our top three are only slightly off as right. far as like pirates and uh, I think, yeah, goes. like Tomorrowland, I think my favorite is um, Tower of Terror. Really? Yeah. My favorite would be Tomorrowland And for then sure. Tomorrowland would probably be my second. I think that was really cool. And then my third, probably be Pirates, I yeah. think. Um, just don't watch Mission to Mars or no, Haunted Mansion. There's just no. nothing like worthwhile in those. No, like I, part of me was like at least like a cheesy aspect of it that would just make it like a stupid movie to watch, but not even. Just fucking boring stuff this concept of the disney ride being made in a movie it's not dead there was that pirates movie just came out earlier this year Mm -hmm. i don't think it did well but it came out and they're supposed to make a movie called disney's jungle cruise with the rock oh cool they just announced that um so they're still gonna keep making these um and i don't think it's a bad idea but it's sad to me that like the best examples of it have been like sort of like forgotten right if you want to read anything I've written about Disney World, uh, I wrote something called Searching for Divine Inspiration, which was just literally me and Cece looking for Ursula <laughs> at Disney World in Orlando. Um, and I found, I found her in a few places. And uh, next episode, Brittany and I will be talking about the series they're doing at the New Orleans Museum of Modern Art. They're playing a bunch of John Waters movies on Fridays. And I would say he's my favorite filmmaker. I, I assume he's yours as well. He's my favorite person. Oh, yeah. Our favorite living yeah, person. Just, yeah. We're obsessed with a man yeah. who's obsessed with obsessions. And when we had the opportunity <laughs> to meet him, we just kind of watched him from afar, too. Oh, God. Uh, we could maybe talk about that as well. Too delicate. Yeah. <laughs> too, like, godlike to touch. <laughs> so the next episode, Brittany and I are talking. We will be talking about John Waters and Woo! the time. Uh, and it's going to be dirty. Yeah, nice and filthy. Nice and filthy. Um, and we'll talk to you all in a couple weeks. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.